welcome to the Slow Twitch podcast. We are joined as most of the time with Ryan Heisler. And we also have a really fun addition to the podcast today uh, who is joined our team, not just from the podcast perspective, but from a sales perspective. Ryan, would you like to introduce our, our guest today? Yeah. Um, you know, it's super interesting because Brad and I have, we both started in triathlon at the same time. And so it's just, it's cool to have somebody else who is, uh, Brad who joining on. So we've got Brad Williams as the newest member of the slow twitch team. So first welcome, Brad. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. It's good to be a part of a, a team that I've uh, been a fanboy of, I guess, for going on 15 years now. Well, we've all been fanboys of what Dan started, let's be honest. That's why we're here. So really quickly before you know, we we jump into like the weekend that was, um, Brad, kind of we talked offline a little bit. Just can you talk about how Slow Twitch in general has kind of impacted your career in endurance sports and like i'm sure a lot of people don't know that you've been around for a while yeah i mean i started in a triathlon in 2008 uh with a sprint triathlon which to eric's point i didn't jump straight to ironman started with a a sprint triathlon on a military base in korea um and i found out about slow twitch i think from a guy that was there named eric reed who was in the army and he informed me about slow twitch and kind of mentored me uh, through this sport in the early years and kind of just raced my way into shape over a couple of years and in those couple of years slow twitch was instrumental in that i guess i had a lot of free time in front of a computer screen at work just to the job i was in and found the bottom of the forum pretty much every day um, and would come back the next day to read more and then of course a lot of insightful articles are you still trying to race yourself into shape yeah, I'm I'm back to that place um, of I stopped racing back in 2020, um, and now I'm trying to um, live an active and healthy lifestyle my way back into shape. I guess you could say you had a pretty quick, but I would say it was a successful little like stint as a professional athlete, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean it's something I always look back on, and and there isn't really a way to measure how somebody's professional career was successful. I think there's many ways that you can do that monetarily results-based if you accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. And I set out on the pro adventure and journey wanting to line up and race the best people in the world at every race that I went to. Um, And when I look back at that, I was able to do that. And I found some success along the way, I would say Um, monetarily it's, it's a different story. I was, always working a part-time job because the level I was racing at wasn't paying all of the bills. Uh, And honestly, I think I needed to keep my mind busy. So I I did a few things along the way and kind of found my way to where I am today. I was always impressed by you as a professional athlete before I even knew you personally. Um, I, I always appreciated your approach to your sponsorships that you had and the the ongoing message that you tended to to spread um, when you were a pro of just trying to get the best out of yourself and the people around you. Um, just food for thought, man. Like, Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I think there's a, a lot of people that 
had a perception that maybe I was trying to shill out product, but I would never take a deal that I had never used or believed in the product. And that deal may have started as a discount. And I mean, I was fortunate to have served in the military and to have been able to kind of use the, the military discount as a way to get in with a brand. Um, and so if they didn't have a discount out there, you, I would just acquire and see if they had a military discount. And that's how I got in with um, ISM. And, and Dave kind of took me under his wing from there and was able to go from just getting a discount off of saddles to, to free saddles to then being on bonus structure. I mean, if you can grow an organic partnership with a company and show them that you can bring value, I, I think you can work your way into some pretty good deals. And sometimes that means taking a little less at the beginning to, to build something more fruitful down the road. And I was able to do that with a few companies and it's, it was good. Which generally speaking is our approach at Slow Twitch when it comes to partners, which is why you're probably a really good fit for what you're doing now. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you, you got to start somewhere and we got to prove as Slow Twitch why you would want to partner with us. And if you give us a chance, I think we can show why we're in this space and why Dan's been so successful in this space and all the things that we can do for brands. There's, there's more than just the forum. And I think that's something that a lot of people lose sight of. There is a whole website that we talk about articles on. There's the whole fit database. There's so much that, that you guys have done over the years to, to build it to where it is. Maybe that should be a new shirt more than just the form. I like that. that I that thought would we be... had a uh, slime shirt in the works, <laughs> but I think wow. more than just a forum, that could be a thing. Yeah, yeah for that's sure. A good, that's a good Kona shirt. Kona 2023 yeah. coming up, man. I got the, time. We got the, time. The thank God I'm not racing party shirt. We can wear that there. Dang straight. <laughs> Ryan, should we dive into the weekend? It was a big weekend in the sport of triathlon, man. It was a Brad, huge you were there. Weekend. And Brad was on site. Um, you know, Ironman World Championships part one. Um, kind of weird to say that, you know, this being 2023 and the first year of the split venue. Um, but I mean, at least from what we were able to cover, um, to date, right? Like you had a really incredible professional race with a lot of big stories and Sam Laidlow taking his first world championship. Um, and just, it was, it was fun to cover from my own perspective simply because, um, the race dynamics were so different than what you would see out of your typical race in Kona. Right. And I mean, some of that is a testament to the way that Sam races, um, where it's pretty much he's full gas from the gun. But I think that course um, in Nice, particularly the bike and the way that you have to climb for the first 40 or so miles, um, really lent itself to creating kind of this really strange dynamic where you had massive time gaps between groups and everything else. And so, um, it's just, it, it was fun. It was different. Um, and you know, from what I was able to cover on my end of things, like it felt very worthy of the title world championship. Um, even though, you know, as we talked about last week, like 
it didn't feel that big in the lead up to it, at least from afar. Why do you think that is, Ryan? We we had some discussion about that the other week on the podcast. Um, you know, we had our our <coughs> ideas and in theories I mean, I, there. Like coming off of the backside of it now, right? I think the the two biggest things were one, it being the first year of the split. And so none of us um, kind of had the expectation of this date on the calendar. And so it just, it felt off timing wise from when you would expect a lot of these stories about worlds to be happening. And secondly, I do think um, there is a little bit of truth to, because we aren't, um, because we're based in the United States, um, we had a little bit of a loss of the industry side of the equation because most brands and their activations um, on site were really kind of the Europe or EMEA teams. And so those are contacts that we may not necessarily have. Um, and so from an industry side, we're slightly unplugged from it. But I noticed when- that a lot of companies in the industry too were split <clears throat> in the regards of, you know, there was, it was like half their team based out of the United States were in Nice and the other half were back at the office, like doing things where in the past, generally speaking, like the it's whole everybody. office shuts down and goes to you know, to the, to the big Island, Brad, you were there because, you know, this was the feeling that we got leading into the race. And then when we watched the race, we were like, holy shit, this is, this is huge. Like, this is a huge production. This is the city is completely, you know, um, accepted this race as their own. Um, Brad, what were your your thoughts and feelings being there present. Was it just as big as Kona? Was it bigger? Was it smaller? Yeah. I mean, it's you think? just backing up to the media piece. What, what I'll say is I, when I go to races, I'm just so busy. I don't have time to stay on top of the media. So it's good to kind of have that perspective because when I'm sat back at home leading into a race, I'm in my normal routine on social media and I can see all the articles coming out and kind of stay on top of things. I feel like I'm when at the when I'm at the event, I lose sight of everything that's going on, and you just start hearing about things, kind of rumor mill at the event, and then you have to go find it on, online. So, but at the event, the the biggest thing that I will say, and it's it's not anything against Kona, but when we go to Kona, I mean, I, and I think backing up so everybody has perspective, I've I've been fortunate to be in Kona five times. Um, 2014 was my last time as an athlete, and then in I had a nine year gap and went again in last year 2022 for the two-day event um so i've i've seen it now as a spectator um and spectating two ironmans in a three-day period is really hard but it was really fun last year um and then as an athlete so i think i have a decent understanding of kona a little bit of gap in my time there as an athlete but i I don't really think anything has changed it a lot of it was the same last year when i was there Um, but kona gets taken over by triathlon it has that small town vibe. It is a small town. And when it's race week in Kona, it is triathlon. And I think there's, I want to say it's the race week or the just a few days 
on the other side of a week out that a cruise ship comes in. And so you get that tourist vibe for that day. But there's people there that don't know the race is going on. And then that cruise ship leaves. And then it's really, you may find one or two people over your week there that are like, oh, what's going on? Otherwise, everybody's there for an athlete or for the industry or they're an athlete themselves. Nice, on the other hand, is a massive city. And triathlon is just there and the city absorbs it. And they had the rugby going on. They had a lot of tourists there. And so you would walk down the promenade and it's not like Kona. If you wanted to talk to somebody about triathlon, you could walk a half a mile and maybe not see anybody that you knew. And Kona, I feel like you can walk 100 meters and you run into the next person. And so your five minute walk may turn into a 20 minute walk where Nice, there's a lot of other things going on. And so you're not just seeing triathletes everywhere. So yeah, Nice did a really good job of absorbing it and bringing it in, but they did a really good job of welcoming the people in. And I thought it was a, a great, great race. And the, you know, the spectator the- crowds looked way bigger than it kind of looked like that whole run course was as popular as Alihi Drive was. Yeah, I mean, for parts of it. I mean, that, that I, what was cool is that instead of it just being Alihi to the big tree, I feel like is like that first turn as you're coming back down into town to the finish line from that right turn in, or really from the top of Alihi down the hill and then down to the through the, the kind of S snake and then the right turn to come down the final stretch. That's always like the big section in Kona. And I mean, out along the water edge in the first five mile out and back section is as well. And it was very similar there, that that main section of road going out, probably out to 4K, maybe 3K. I feel like as you got to the further turnaround section, it was a little bit less populated. I had ridden out there a few times throughout the race and chasing the pros around and trying to stay up to date with what was going on. But yeah, it was there was a lot of fans. And I think it comes down to when you when you look at the geography of things, it's really easy to get to Nice. There's direct flights from the East Coast. It's an easy hop over from the UK. And then it's on mainland Europe. I mean, it's easy for a lot of people drove there. A lot of people drove there from the, or a few people I know drove there from the UK. Um, I, I know uh, Fenella Langridge's husband was trying to get a last minute flight in from, I believe they're out in Lanzarote, uh, training for Kona. And he was like, really feeling like he was missing out and he was going to come in on Friday before the race and leave again on Sunday. Um, so there was people wanting to be there and it was easily accessible. Um, so I, I think that's probably why we saw a really big crowd there. So it's interesting that you mentioned that specific case of FOMO, right? Where, um, you know, I think we're seeing that come up on our forum a fair bit too, out of some people who had the opportunity, you know, they had qualified for the race and they made the decision, oh, I don't want to go to Nice. Like I'm going to wait a year and try to qualify again because Kona was the thing that they know. Right. And now we're starting to see more of the stories of, you know what, like that was a mistake. Like this was a, a destination that we should really consider and be going to, um, you know, looking at it from afar, you know, the course was really well spectated. I know that sometimes access points to get across certain bridges or anything else can always be problematic. Like it's just, unfortunately there was a terror attack in Nice seven years ago. Right. So like there's heightened security in certain places and it, can make things a little complicated. Um, but just 
overall spectator friendliness um really kind of epic um how was you know like other kind of logistics right like getting food getting you know around town because you know as you say like because kona completely gets taken over um you know in sometimes like there's frankly too many people there yeah i mean backing up to the people that had fomo like a hundred percent i think they missed out on a great opportunity to experience an amazing event um i always have a rule for my athletes that qualify for kona is like the first year you go to an event for a world championship event i think you should do everything go to every expo thing you want to go to go to all the parties go to all the brand stuff go to the parade of nations the welcome party go to the after the this award ceremony and then i think if you get if you're lucky enough to go back again then like focus on doing the race because kona has always been one of those that's like get to experience all of that and be fortunate for being there and i think everything's worth experiencing and same for nice like we don't know. We th- Nice is on a four-year agreement, so whoever feels like they missed out this year, they they should have an option to go back. But I mean, those that didn't go, yeah, I, I think it was a, a big a big loss there. Um, I would definitely recommend, like, if you get the chance to go back in, what would it be twenty-five for the men? They'll be back there. Yep. So if they have a chance to go back in twenty-five, I think if it's in your budget, like, definitely spend the money. Uh, as far as food and all of that, it, there was great amount of food <laughs> great food it was endless i mean we found a an amazing pizza place in the alley uh and it was on our i think our first night there um and it was amazing pizza but the funny thing is it was cash only and the my business partner or my uh, colleague that i was with neither one of us had 20 euros on us to get a few slices of pizza for 450 euro you got a fresh slice of pizza and he wandered away to go find a, an ATM and I held my place in line and he comes back pretty quick with 20 euro. And I was like, man, like, why did you only get 20 euro? We could have maybe wanted more than, than just like a few slices of pizza. And he's like, no, no, you're not going to believe it. I was asking directions to where an ATM was and these tourists that were in town, they just gave me 20 euro because they felt bad. I was going to have to walk so far to get pizza. So then That's he awesome. comes back, he comes back with a 20 euro and we were struggling to tell the pizza guy that we wanted to buy half of a pizza because they were selling by slice and he didn't quite understand. And this um, ended up being a French Canadian girl was standing there and she ended up translating for us and she ended up not having any cash. So we ended up buying four pieces of pizza and we got three of them and she got one and she uh, was, we did some bartering for translation for pizza and we ended up having dinner for free on, on a very nice tourist. So yeah, but there was, there was <laughs> other places awesome. that were really good. All the, kind of off the prom was there's like an alleyway back we, we were staying a few k down from the start um kind of towards the i love nice sign and there's a big open area for restaurants and stuff back through there and that was packed every night with more so tourists than for athletes but there was lots of options for food everybody was going on and on about great food um and i i think jay Prashun from quintana Roo spoke about that in the forum and i think he threw me under the bus because after the race night, we wanted to go out to uh, it, the race was still going on and we were kind of in a gap period of time that we had some time and he wanted to go grab dinner. And I was like, well, there's we, we both had access to the VIP area. And I was like, there's free food down at the VIP area. And I had already bought him lunch once. And I told him that Eric keeps me on a really tight budget and I couldn't afford two meals. So I convinced him to go down to the VIP area, which there's always typically good food. And 
I thought it was great, but he didn't like that it was um, fried calamari and beef sliders and there was fresh beer on the table for him. Like, I don't know what it's going to take to please him, but supposedly Mountain I needed, Dew. Mountain Dew. Yeah, supposedly, yeah, yeah, Mountain I just Dew. needed to take him to That's, like an authentic Nice restaurant. But I it was. Know, man. I'm telling was, you, Mountain Dew. Just show up to Mountain Dew and just give it to Jay. He's fine. Yeah, it was right on the right on the ocean. We sat there. There was a lot of people down there. Um, there was somebody, one of Sam Laidlow's sponsors, had bought him a couple of bottles of champagne, and their whole group was down there. Jan showed up and was taking pictures with his um triathlon suit from the day there was just a lot of different things going on down there that was cool to see i mean outside of sam's big win it was also yon's last dance and i think that the fans did a, a really good job of, of making that special unfortunately it didn't i think go the way that a lot of us thought it would but he went out there on a tough day and still got across the line which was good to see yeah. T- brad tell us about the expo and and stuff that that was going on there. A lot, a lot of people, I'm very curious to see what that was like. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about Kona this year after talking to a lot of the industry partners and, you know, people not going or not choosing to expo. I typically walk through an expo two to three to four times when I'm at an event, just, you, you see a lot of people, you know, it's a good place to network. Um, I, I didn't get back down to the, I went to the expo once on, on the morning we arrived, we arrived Tuesday night, sorry, the next morning. So Wednesday morning, uh, I made one pass through there, talked to the people that I, that I knew and met some new people. Um, it was just a little bit away from where everything else was. Like it was away from our house. So that's probably one of the reasons that I didn't go in Kona where we normally stay. I have to go by the expo to get to the pier. So I stop in more frequently. Um, it wasn't far out of the way. We're talking two or three K from the house. It wasn't like it was miles and miles away. Um, and on first pass, I mean, all, all the key brands were there that I would have expected to be there. Um, some of them were were there with their European distributors instead of with the heads of the brands or the normal people you would see, which wasn't surprising. I, I would hope those brands that were there with their European distributors will see the main people in Kona maybe, and maybe that's how they decided to split it up into to financially make it work for them as a brand. Um, but yeah, it was, I wouldn't say it was any different than, it, it was similar to St. George. It was no different than any big Ironman I've been to in the last couple of years. I think the expo space has changed a little bit. Um, I think some of them are a little bit smaller now, but I've only been at championship level events in the last couple of years. So I think it's hard for me to have perception on that. But yeah, all the big brands were there. I, Hoka had. So it wasn't it wasn't a bust. No, and it was the first time I'd it's ever good. seen that Hoka was doing custom embroidery on shoes. I think that was the one thing that stood out. Really, one one thing that stood out to me. They had a whole trailer set up, and and the reason it it stood out to me really what caught my eye was Leon Chevalier was on the big poster behind with a big precision hat on, precision fill and hydration hat, and that's what caught my eye. And then. I saw what was going on and they were custom embroidering shoes. So it's, uh, yeah, it's something I guess they're doing now. Wow. That's cool. Did you get a pair? I'm, I, I do not have a pair of Hoka shoes yet, but I think there might be a set on the way. I'm, I'm tired of walking around Ironman events now with uh, another brand on that's very prevalent, but is not heavily involved in triathlon. And so I feel like I should either be in a pair of Ons or a pair of Hoka's. I mean, that's, that's who we see right now in our industry. I feel like at events and promoting athletes in a, in a very big way. Mm-hmm. What shoe do you walk around in currently? 
I've been in Nikes and the only thing is, is yeah. that I'm, I just keep using the ones that were in my closet from when I stopped racing and I'm almost out of those few pairs in there. The, the grips on those are uh, deteriorating quickly. I still, uh, I still get some crap for walking around in Nikes with carbon plates, but I mean, it's just, I'm not a big tennis shoe guy you or got a running shoe guy. I'm normally in, uh, I'm normally in flip-flops. Yeah, there you go. You need your carbon shoes if you're going to be working media. <laughs> they help. Hey, I, I, I didn't sign up for a media role, just to be clear. I think I'm, I'm if doing If you're going to be running around, <laughs> they help. So ultimately, you know, the, the, the big question, right? Did it feel like a world championship on site? 100%. I think what a lot of people are having a hard time with is their experience and vision is that what Kona is. And I think if you disconnect from that and you bring somebody outside of triathlon or somebody new to triathlon and only show them Nice, I think they would be impressed. And I think they would walk away going, wow, that was a world championship level event. We got to stand in one place and we got to see the pros on the run course eight times. I think that goes a long ways. There was big crowds. There was, it had it all and amazing views. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I love watching European based iron band and even growth, right? Like places that offer, um, not just a multi-loop run, but a run that's so incredibly well supported, right? Because that's just not an experience that you typically get outside of Kona um, in North America, right? Like you just, you don't get the same level of experience. And so, I mean, I, for one, like when I'm looking at my own personal racing schedule and what I might want to do, um, I had totally written off next year is like my last go round trying to do a full Ironman. And I'm like, eh, maybe I want to hold on to that dream for one more year. Um, just because of the way that Nice looked like that's a place that I want to go. Are you saying you're going to try to qualify for Nice, Ryan? Uh, I say that I might have a two-year plan in the back of my head. How Assuming many, wow. that, you know, I can get healthy, that'd be a good start. How many Ironmans have you done? Uh, my batting average is pretty terrible, uh, but I've started five. <laughs> oh, I, I was wondering if we could maybe, like, work a backdoor play to get you to be the first legacy athlete to Nice. Maybe, no. we, could, maybe we could start <laughs> playing that option. Well, no, uh, you have uh, two years. Let's just, you can do five, five Ironmans no. in two years, and then we get your legacy slot to Nice. Somehow, so how many, someone how has many to write for the site, Brad. How many have you finished? Is that to me? Yeah. yeah how one. Many one. I got hit by a car during one. Um, I had the, I didn't finish one where I was working um, at the expo for 40 something plus hours leading up into the race so i got down with the bike and went this is stupid um and then uh yeah so i i've started four then um because i was training for one that's when i broke my back and had my brain injury and then um my dnf in 2019 is because of 
my head. And we finally, you know, now have that all figured out. So that's why I'm trying to come back. And then I do stuff like break my wrist while walking through an expo. <laughs> Brad, how many Ironmans have you done? I believe I've done 14 and I finished 13. So that was, I had, that was my only DNF, I think. So, yeah. Pneumonia going into an Ironman is, is not necessarily the best way to taper and it's not the best way to race on antibiotics. So I'll just yeah. leave it at that. <laughs> So Brad, you, you had like your first experience with media and being a little bit closer to the pros. And I think you have outside of racing. Talk to us a little bit about that experience. Cause you, you kind of were able to go wherever you wanted to go and talk to whoever you wanted to go. And, and you always had like these really fun, cool stories that you were talking about as you were like downloading your day to us before you went to bed. And I, I had FOMO listening to it, but tell us about that a little bit. Cause that was fascinating to me to like, listen to you talk about the things that you had like run into that day. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had a little bit of close access just since I manage our sponsored athletes over at precision fill and hydration, I'm able to with Ironman, they've allowed me to, to get some access, but it wasn't to the full extent of having a rep bib and having that media bib and that thing's powerful. When somebody starts telling you no, and then they see the red bib, they're like, oh no, no, you are allowed. So me and me and Mark Threefall rode out to 15K on the bike course. We left, this, we watched the swim start. We, they got about halfway through it and then we headed out and we were able to get all the way out there. And backing up to Ryan's point about the, the terrorist stuff and the closure of the courses and all of that, I. I've raced 14 Ironmans, I think about 50, 70.3s over my career. And there's only one other location in the world that I've seen a course as well managed as this. Um, and that was China. And was in China, there was barriers for the whole, or barriers railing for the whole 90K of the bike course. And there was military, I would say about every five to 10 feet, there was a military soldier along the whole entire bike course. There was not that many military and police officers in Nice, but what they did differently than I've than I've ever seen at any other course is at every roundabout or any intersection in that first 15k section that I rode, you would see dump trucks or big vehicles blocking the road that any car could possibly get into the course, and that is something that I have never seen outside of China's barrier situation, which was eye-opening to me, and then this situation. And I think you have to give massive kudos to seeing them do it that way. Um, it was well France, done, man. They're, yeah. they're used to it. They're used to it with the tour. Yeah. I mean, and granted, I only did the first 15 K there, but that, that was my experience there. Um, yeah. So the, the cool things was me and three fall rode out to, to that 15 K mark and watched them come up that hill. And that was, that was really quick though. I mean, it was, I think the biggest gap was out of the swim. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was, yeah, there was somebody that was 12 minutes down, but for the most part, we saw all of them come through in in seven minutes, and that happened really quick. And it was in some some little little groups and big groups, and that was that was one of the the cool things during the day. Um, and back to the media access part, I I feel like I've been around long enough now that when I walk up to somebody, if I'm going to ask them a question, it was awkward because likely they didn't know that I was at slow twitch, and so I I got tired of having to say like, 
I just need you to know I'm at slow twitch, so you can decline to comment or you can tell me this is off the record and I, I won't tell anybody about it. And I think that's, I don't have a journalist background, Ryan, but I know you're educated in this and way more experienced. W was I doing that right? Or should I have been doing something else? I, I mean, so for the most part, right? Like if, if you're just having a quick conversation with somebody about something like it, you know, it's, if your intent is to say, I'm going to be writing something or I'm going to be reporting on something, lead with that. And then otherwise, just treat it as a conversation between yourself and whomever's working, right? Yeah. Um, you know, example, when I was talking to um, Joe Skipper and Cody Beals um, after Lake Placid this year, um, you know, because it was like, hey, you know, you guys just finished. Like, I don't want to, you know, like, I'm fly on a wall right now. You guys just keep talking, like, do whatever. Like, eventually we'd love to have you on the podcast but like i'm not here to quote you to do anything like you guys just finished and you're shattered and you don't want to talk to anyone besides yourselves have fun like do whatever i think, I think um, we've always been a little different in that regards where i think we generally lead with the fact that things are going to be just personal yeah and, yeah so that's where you know what I mean? Like I, I, I always assume that everything's going to be quote unquote off the record. Yeah. So that's where until, it was. And, unless I, unless I'm like, Hey, I want to write yeah. about this specifically. Like, you know, it, cause that's just not our style of journalism. Like we, we're not into, we're not into the drama of it. We're not into the clickbait of it. Like we just, that's not what our, like our, our site primarily is, you know, where we, we were community driven, we're product review driven, and then we have a forum that does everything else for us. And so, you know, we just have a different approach to how we handle things for good or for bad. That's just kind of what we, what we do. Um, and I mean, so, it, so. it's one of those things where, you know, like let's take a, you know, Ironman PR communications group right like we have um a pretty strong relationship with them from a you know like if something needs to be reported as news like they're very good about giving us what we need um and we're able to ask them questions and talk to them and say you know like okay for the purposes of this story versus you know like there are times where it's like hey like i just want to talk to you as a fellow industry person like i have no i have no written agenda here right like this isn't a piece that we're working on or something to bring up here um and so you know like that gives us the opportunity to stay plugged in with what we need to be plugged in with and then be able to put the level of thought and authenticity behind like when we publish something you know there's a good reason why we're choosing to write about that yeah so i i found it slightly awkward because i didn't always have that red bib on and I was allowed into the, the press briefing, which I think anybody was allowed in there. I don't think you had to be invited necessarily. And then there was uh, 
the pro briefing, which happened just off the back of that. And while I was at the pro briefing, I, I overheard uh, Jan asking to have a meeting with a technical official after the meeting in private. And I found that as very interesting. And so I, I wasn't going to go seek out Jan later. It just happened. I ran into him in the hotel and I said, hey, I I heard this. It, would you, on the record, like want to comment on it or anything? And he said, no. And I said, will you answer any questions? He said, yeah, of course. Like, I'm just going to tell you this. It's not going to be on the bike. And tomorrow, if you see it, you'll know exactly what it is when you see it. And I was like, okay, like, thanks. Thanks for the info. Like, I appreciate it. Have a great race, you know, and, and Jan's always been the most professional guy in, in the industry in a lot of ways. And um, so I walked away with that. And of course, I, I feel like it's our job once we know something is it, not our job. Like, I feel it's media's job once they know about something to dig around and see what they can find. Maybe Jan's not going to tell you, but couple hours or the next day I was over at Canyon looking at all of Jan's bikes because Canyon had those those on display and and Wolfie walked me through all the bikes and I was I probed him I just said hey I, I've heard there might be something that could possibly be in question like do you mind showing that to me and he said well Jan's backup bike is right here and so he was kind of playing the game like oh maybe there is something maybe there's not something so like man this they're, they're keeping it close hold so then race morning, I saw his manager, Felix, and I asked Felix, hey, I've heard there might be something. Do you want to show me? No, no, I can't comment on it yet. Just wait till the race and you'll see it. I go, okay, fine. I'll be patient at this point. I'll, eventually, it's going to pop up. I'm just walking down to the swim area and I'm standing there on my phone answering some text. I, don't, I think I was just answering text. And I just happened to look up, not even realizing Jan was warming up down there. And he's sitting down and getting ready. And he looked up and saw me when I looked up. And I just like waved and said like, good luck. And then I was getting ready to walk away and he stood up and came over and he goes, all right, Brad, you ready? You ready to see my 10,000 euro prototype of this new product? Totally in Jan's way, in Jan's way, right? And I was like, yeah, let me see it. And he pulls out a plastic bag out of his kit. And I was like, okay, wh where's the <laughs> prototype? It's like, is it the air in the bag or like, so he's, totally played me right like it was re really well done like well played so that the bag is he's always struggled to get into his kit um because it's super tight fitting he, he can't swim with it all over his shoulders because it's so tight fitting so the plastic yeah. bag was to slide through his arm sleeve to get it on faster um i i didn't ask many more questions it's race morning i want to be respectful so i just said like thanks for showing me so we we have a picture <laughs> of yawn in the ten thousand euro prototype plastic bag um, I, I think obviously if there's some sarcasm in the cost of it, but it was well played by him. So I, I and I look back on it, I, sh I should have asked like, oh, why did you have to ask the technical official? But I think we look back on all the things that are going on with these aero chess things and all of that. And I think, I don't know if you're allowed to swim in the, with those in, I assume you're not because everybody's struggling with them. So I think they wanted clear guidance on, is this empty plastic bag allowed to be in my swim skin? And when I get out of the water, am I allowed to use it? Or do I have to leave it in transition and mess with it in there? Because he wanted to be doing that all in motion on the way to his bike instead of having to stop. Right. And as some of us may have seen, his his kit had a rip in it. Um, and so I've, I have yet to be able to track down and I didn't feel like I needed to track down why it ripped because it, he's on his farewell tour. I mean, he's, he's out the door. I wanted him to enjoy it. I saw him down there at the VIP area. Didn't think it was the place. Um, I have some ideas of why it happened. It wasn't on a seam in the kit. So I think the plastic may have had a sharp edge or maybe his fingernail caught the, the kit or something. But rumor has it, he practiced getting in and out of that kit with that same plastic bag and that same kit a lot. And they didn't have any issues and they were confident in using it. So 
that, Ooh, Brad is bringing the conspiracy theories I mean, to the podcast. I love it's it. not a conspiracy theory. It's an <laughs> no, educated. It it's an education. <laughs> it's, 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 it's gonna um, turn into a conspiracy theory. No, they but, they they commentated on him having a rip and Braden Curry's zippers being broken. So I'm not talking about you, man. I'm talking about the people that are gonna start talking about it oh, now because we're yeah. talking about it. That's yeah. Well, I, I mean, one it's the form. Like, it's the magic of the form. And sometimes shit happens, right? You can oh, practice yeah, it sure. all you want, but yeah. you know you're wet. Um, one Jason Kasperzak, who wrote the age groupers perspective for us on yeah, where did he come from? By the way, Ryan, that was a really good piece. So I didn't know uh, that that piece was getting written. Then I got on our site, and I was like, "Oh, okay, this is cool." Um, so Jason is an age group athlete from Connecticut that I've known for a long time. Um, and he's on the cupcake cartel team and I knew he was going, um, and when I got COVID and went shit, how are we going to accomplish some of the stuff we want to be able to accomplish, uh, coming into the weekend, I messaged Jason cause I knew he was going over and said, you know, like, I know you haven't raced Kona. But, you know, you've been to a fair number of world championship events. Like, I'd love to get your perspective on the race and everything leading into it. Um, And he more than graciously said, sure, like, just tell me what you want. And, you know, like, give me some parameters on how much content I need to write. And he wrote it on the TGV um, as he was uh, heading back. he had a really good race, but the thing um, he mentioned, which I was kind of going off of, um, was just how salty the water is in Nice. And so, like, I know I've had problems in saltwater swims with getting kits on and what they do on your body versus like any other race. And so, you know, the other thing he mentioned in that piece was there weren't showers coming out of the water. And so, like, if you're as salty as you might be coming out of that water, like, stuff's going to grab on you differently. They, it, wow. They, that's that's interesting that they wouldn't put, I mean. Just weren't there. There's, shower, like, there's showers in Kona. Like, that's a world championship thing. I don't remember if there was showers in the swim. I said, I didn't spend, I, I was already out of there by the time this, the, the guys were leaving. There was water, a water shower thing on the run course. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised right. if there was, was there not one at the swim exit? There wasn't hmm. at least according to Jason, there wasn't. Okay. Well, yeah, he, he would have ran through it if there was. So I was just um, listening to audio of what was going on. And then the other thing that, you know, a couple of people have mentioned is the apparently very classic French thing of not having cool drinks after a certain point in the afternoon. Oh, like yeah. they just, yeah. they run out Flies. of ice and they run out of mm-hmm. stuff that's refrigerated. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, like, I think that's one of the things that, you know, this being the first time that you know, you have the world championship there and the athlete density of when people are going to come through certain points on course and through the run. Um, That's something they'll be able to piece together over time. 
uh, and be able to improve upon. Oh boy, we've hit a lull in our <laughs> podcast, man. Is that we're all is, tired? Is that my time to exit stage left, and you guys can go rant about other things, or is there something? No way, else? man. We got to finish up here. You guys want to, yeah, Brad? Ask what, are we, what are we? What um, are we? What do you think the big difference is? Talk to us about the vibe, right? Because one of the and you were you were at at Kona last year when there was two days. Yeah, and there was there was a very specific vibe difference between the men only race and then the the majority of the women race the second day right like what was it like when there's there's no women like there's there's essentially no goodness there's just full testosterone right was was there a different vibe there being in an event where there's literally no female participants whatsoever it was just guys i mean nice was full of tourists yeah so it wasn't as noticeable it honestly it didn't hit me until we were at the awards ceremony on sunday and they Mm -hmm. went to go through all the age groups and it was going really fast because normally kona going through the awards is a long drawn out process and then having a male champion speech and a women's champion speech, it really drags on that awards night. Um, it, that's what it hit me. It's like, oh, I, I knew the women weren't here, but I, it hadn't really affected me. And don't get me wrong, I, I love supporting women's racing. I mean, we, we had one male for, our, for precision fuel and hydration. And in Nice, we, I think, have seven or eight sponsored women in Kona. So yeah. I, I'm looking forward to Kona from that aspect. I, I didn't notice, I, I was, I guess my mind had already been shifted that this is only going to be a men's race. And I, I wasn't mm-hmm. worried about it only being a men's race from the spectating standpoint, because I know what's coming in October and that we're going to get to support the women for a whole lead up and a, and a whole day out on the course. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed last year that it was, it was way more <clears throat> tense on the the male only day. And then um, it was very tense at the beginning of the women's only day because um, they didn't have enough um, bike mechanics there. And you just didn't have enough support for those women that needed their mechanical stuff done and and help with like pumping their tires and things like that. And, um, and, And there was this moment of just pure panic from a lot of them. And then all of a sudden these, like these, these mama bears jumped in and just started like organizing, like where the mechanics were going to go and get over here and do this. And, and then it just kind of like calmed down after like 20 or 30 minutes inside the, you know, the transition area that morning. And, and then it was just like, it was just filled with like non-testosterone. It was just like this peaceful, nice place. And everybody was like cheering each other on. It, it almost seemed like everyone was racing together instead of individually. Um, yeah. In, in Kona on that day. I will say that that was one of the comments that I, I can't, I don't remember which male pro said it, but he was like, there's the women provide a lot of content and a lot of like goodness to the, the content creation side. And that was missing. Yeah. They felt like, um, mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> Yeah, there was it, that was that was one of the comments I heard, but I didn't see I 
last year in Kona, I, I missed that. I don't think I was down there near the transition area, but there's, I've seen plenty of women fix their bikes and I've seen plenty of men who don't know what they're doing. So I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. All right. So Brad, when are you getting to Kona this year? I'm, we're I'm, we're going to be there the Tuesday before the race starts. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to survive the, the next 15 days. Uh, for those that don't know, I'm trying to, oh, I'm not trying, I'm helping a, a charity bike ride from, I'm starting Denver and then riding for three days to Topeka, Kansas. And I'm going to drive from Topeka to St. Louis and meet back up with the ride in St. Louis and then ride St. Louis to Pittsburgh. Um, three days to Indy and then Indy to Pittsburgh in three days. And then I'm going to drive from Pittsburgh to New Jersey. And then we're doing an indoor bike-a-thon for uh, 200 of the company's employees. They'll, they'll do four 30 minute sessions of 50 cyclists at a time. Is this your way of getting ready for the uh, underwear run? Yeah, no, I, I, it's, I told you, I tell everybody to do one, everything once in Kona and I've done it once. So that was okay. something going back to what, <laughs> what maybe was missing is there. I didn't see an underpants run and the beer mile of triathlon has kind of been taken over by Joe Skipper and the triathlon mockery. And so that's yeah. now always done the day after the race where in Kona, the beer mile is done the day before the race. And so yeah. that was, that was one change. And then there was Bob Babbitt was in Nice, but there was no, thank God I'm not racing party. He said, he's saving that for, for Kona. So those were really the only other like vibe things that were off. And most people probably wouldn't have noticed that, but I, I did partake in, in the beer mile and I'll partake in that again, but underpants run, I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll spectate. So yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> I've never done that. I don't think I ever will. I don't think anyone ever wants to watch me run around in, in my skibbies. So I'll say, how was your beer mile that. time, Brad? Uh, well, it was, it was kind of, unofficially a beer mile because there was not a lot of rules of the beer mile being followed. Yeah. Yeah. It's very so unorganized they, with Joe, which is yeah, great. They had straws in their <laughs> bottles. They had bottles instead of cans. There was 4% beer, which I didn't know 4% beer was a thing. Um, so I, there was that there was uh, yeah. So at that point I found out about the beer mile about 20 minutes from the start had just come from the, that's when Joe Skipper decided to do it probably too. <laughs> now there was a big crowd. There was a more people watching than doing it. Um, and, and I had ate, I had ate up at the award ceremony and I was, I didn't eat like I was going to do a beer mile. I ate like I was eating lunch and had an eight and a day and a half of spectating. So, um, did you, did you see how he announced the, where the location of the beer mile was going to be? No, I, I missed that. He was, he was on FaceTime with his wife. And so his wife's like faces in the upper corner of the phone. And he's like, he's like, Oh, hold on. I got to, and so he like takes a picture. Like he like, he like change and then he screenshots it. And then, <laughs> so then he puts that out there. of like, this is where the beer vial is going to be. So like his wife's trying to like talk to him. He's like, Hold on. I got, I, this is where I'm going awesome. to The uh, It was a good spot. It was a good spot. Such a skipper moment, man. So yeah, after two beers, Ryan, I, uh, I didn't pull the plug, but I, I really uh, went went after it after that. So I, I had the first beer went down pretty good, and then I ran some guys down, and then I was out of breath for the second beer because I'm out of shape. And so the second beer was a slow beer. And then coming back in, I really didn't want to drink two more beers. Um, so I just opened my mouth and just poured them from way up high and just let it waterfall out of my mouth and then just kept running, did two laps like that. So 
if anybody has any video or pictures of that, I've yet to see them, but that's why I was doing it. Cause I wanted one good, one good photo of the best beer mile ever. So <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to come prepared for the Kona beer mile though. And if I can crack oh, like eight minutes, I'd be happy. I mean, Will Clark is still showing up and dominating beer miles. So um, yeah, I don't know what he ran, but he lapped most of the field. Uh, Joe was, Joe was on the verge of getting lapped if I'm not mistaken. So um, did he show up in a special outfit? Will Clark? No, Joe. Uh, was no. he wearing his jorts? I hope so. I don't know. I don't think he was in jorts. I don't think he was wearing a shirt. No, he's in spandex, I think. Yeah, he's okay. in spandex. He shirts. had like this, he had this like legit, um, authentic, uh, what, what was the, the outfit that they wear in, in, in Roth, Germany? It was like oh, a yeah, Lindenhauser. Oh, yes. It was like, it was like real leather and everything. Oh, That's what yeah. he had. Luckily, we didn't have he to done. climb up any playgrounds and go down any slides on this, this course because I think that's what happened in Roth, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how he lost. Actually, he was in the lead until until it was the playground type, and then yeah, he just <laughs> couldn't do it, man. <laughs> his buddy, his buddy got up the stairs way faster than Joe did, and then Joe tried to cut the course, and yeah, so DQ'd, man. Well, I will say this about from an outsider looking and not being in these, um, I thought it was Iron Man's best broadcast that they've ever done. Um, I was super impressed with the, even though I didn't watch the whole thing, the, the pre-show while it was a little bit too long, in my opinion, it was really nice to have a lot of the background information being told before the race started. Um, I thought the graphics for the run bike and swim courses were really cool. I thoroughly, even though they're not a hundred percent dialed in, we talked about this last week. I love the stuff that, that BCC is doing with some of the side graphics with the information of like, you know, power GPS, things like that. Apparently most of the GPS stuff didn't work properly in these. So they've still got to like figure that out for Kona. Um, but I like how they had like, you know, the, the little um, informational tags on the riders and the swim so that when they were talking about a particular swimmer, they had like their name pop up yeah. with the swimmer. So you could kind of see what was going on there. I just think they did a, an exceptionally good job with the whole production. I was really impressed with it. Do you know- and, the, and, and the camera guy that was on the one wheel needs to be the one that actually like wins an, an Emmy in the future because that dude is super talented no i mean that was probably one of the more shocking revelations was watching that guy on the one wheel the entire i think time. even i want to say james mitchell was also on a one wheel the, as they well. looked great yeah like, they did and, a really good job and you know i think that's potentially one of the ways that you know as we're talking about because you know in my article on it right like one of the drawbacks was again we didn't have enough cameras on the run course to be able to see you know like we never saw patrick longa until he was pretty much passing Brudy von berg well they pulled motos from the guys so well, right at the last minute they they all got there and they were supposed to have motos for it and they the crowds were just way too big and so they they had they gave everybody e-bikes and said 
sorry, but I mean, it was the right call to make, but that probably. Right. And so when we're lot. talking about that creative solutioning of how do we get more cameras out on course, like those one wheels looked, if you can pilot one, um, which is a big if, obviously. Um, but that's a potential solution. I love the e-bike um, side of the equation. Um, yeah, I mean, on a for-loop course, you can have some stationary cameras as well, which I, I may have too. missed not seeing those. But they there didn't was, exist. Yeah, there, there was yeah, there didn't. was a lot of yeah. media there needs out there. to be there. big crane and arms and stuff like that doing that. Yeah. Um, on the know, subject like, of, sorry, of BCC, do you know anything about that, Eric? Do you know about that technology they're using or is it cell service or? So they're actually, um, they were trying to get permission to share that with us before Nice. Um, they're going to share it with us before Kona. So we're actually going to have a couple of articles written up about the stuff that they're doing. So we've um, all been around all long that. enough. So maybe you guys remember the cork collector. Do you guys remember that device? Yes. No. I'm getting blank stares. It was the, it's basically like take a race ranger type of thing except it would broadcast athlete data out back yeah it was uh i used it for the first race we ever used it and it was a really good race that it happened to be used at because it it connected to your devices and they set it up with your a and t plus numbers in it so they had like actual power numbers in there and stuff i think it was just too far ahead of its time but it was at galveston 70.3 and i was back and probably probably 15th or 16th at coming into t1 and it was the five guys in like the sixth to 10th range took a wrong turn on the course and they were sitting there watching the court collector dots like run around the course and they saw these five guys take a wrong turn and they had to go chase them down on the course to let them know that they were neither needed to go back or were DQ'd. And so it actually worked like in live time. And it was uh, interesting that the first time they used it, five guys just happened to make a wrong turn. <laughs> yeah. I, apparently some of the, you know, obviously they were dealing with some massive and, and Brad, you experienced this too. Like <clears throat> the cell phone service wasn't great in Nice, um, particularly when you got up into those mountains and stuff. And then the, the limitations on the GPS systems that they used weren't, they didn't tell them that they had those limitations until they were delivered to them. Um, and so it was like one of those, like, Oh, well, thanks. We could have not done this if we would have known, but yeah, I mean, I, I was, I meant to tell you that it wasn't the cell towers there. It was actually the, my cell phone. So when you see a new iPhone 15, I think what two days for pre-order when you see that on my expense sheet, that's why, cause I need to have good cell phone service. So it's, that's the excuse for the write-off, right? Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have 5g huh no no i was on lte and i i have oh no, yeah i have t-mobile i have t-mobile global roaming so yeah. yeah yeah wi-fi was really good though so yeah there you go well thanks for uh thanks for joining us brad we appreciate it um i'm sure listeners uh appreciated having somebody else on the podcast besides ryan and i just ramble about stuff as well so 